Amen. It's so comforting to hear the Word of God, the timeless, unchanging, always consistent Word of God. If there's anything that's been consistent about the last three or four days or the last three or four weeks, the only thing that's been consistent is the inconsistency. Uh, The only thing that we can count on is the reality of change. The only thing that we can become accustomed to is that we're going to be continually put in situations where we're not accustomed. And uh, case in point, right here, we're doing a streamed uh, service uh, here this morning. We're so glad to have uh, people joining us from uh, Hope Church Toronto North and Toronto West and uh, Mississauga as well. And it's really important that in these times of change that we look to the unchanging, inspired and inerrant Word of God. And there's no better place really for us to look than the Psalms. The Psalms are, it's, it's the hymnal. It's the, it's the Spotify playlist of the, of the people of God. The Psalms give us a script. When we don't know what to say, the Psalms give us, they give us words. They, they, they help us find a voice, a voice to talk to God about what we're facing and a voice to, to talk to one another, to encourage one another, but most importantly, a voice to actually to speak to ourselves so that we would be able to process all that is going on uh, around us. Many of us have our favorite songwriters or certain songs that we love to uh, listen to, the Gettys or the Tomlins or the Redmonds or City of Light or whoever it may be. Uh, this psalm was written by uh, one of the most favorite songwriters uh, of the Hebrew people, uh, in, the, in the subscript, in the notes at the beginning of the, of the psalm, it says it was written by the sons of Korah. These psalmists wrote Psalm 42. They wrote Psalm 84. And they wrote the much beloved Psalm of 46. The sons of Korah were descendants of a failed revolutionary named Korah who was swallowed by the, by the earth as a result of his rebellion. Uh, they uh, survived and became temple doorkeepers and eventually became worship leaders in the time of Jehoshaphat. It was the sons of Korah who led the army into a battle and saw a great victory simply through singing because the battle belonged to the Lord. You see, the sons of Korah understood the presence of God. They understood the holiness and the wrath of God. That sinners cannot stand in God's presence because their, their forefathers were swallowed up by the, by the earth when they rebelled against God in the book of Numbers chapter 16. They also understood the, the importance of worship in their role as being doorkeepers in the temple. They knew that worship involved the, the presence of God and then their experience with Jehoshaphat showed the presence of God has power. Power for the people of God. And Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalm begins by saying that God is very present. What we're going to see from this psalm is that God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation and circumstance. God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation and circumstance. You see, it's, it's, we've been learning a lot of new vocabulary in the last few days. We've been learning about what it means to flatten the curve. And we need to, we need to pay attention to these things. And what our, uh, what our uh, health leaders and our politicians are telling us. We've been learning about flattening the curve. We've been learning about social distancing. It's important for us to practice social distancing. Part of the reason why we're doing this on video is for that very reason. But here's the truth. God 
will never practice social distancing for his people. God has promised his presence, and his presence is a source of strength and security for us. Taking a look at the structure of the psalm here, we have three selahs, one at the end of verse 3, one at the end of verse 7, and then one at the end of verse 11. We also have a repeated refrain, which was like the chorus of this song. In verse 7 and verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This emphasis on God being with us, it begins by saying that he is very present. It means well proved in in being attentive, of being right there. You see, men can understand what it means for something to be very present. I'm often looking in the refrigerator, Lindsay, have you seen the ketchup? And then even when she's trying to explain to me where it is, in the oh, there it is, it's very present, it was there all the time. Lindsay, have you seen my keys? Oh, there they are. Lindsay, have you seen my glasses? They're on your face, dear. Very present. You see, there are some psalms that are like, where are you, God, kind of psalms. Not so with Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence, this rock-solid reality that God has promised to be with us, and that changes everything. I want to share with you three insights from this psalm that I think can be very comforting for us at this time. Here's the first one. Because God's presence is with us, we will not be afraid. We will not be afraid. Verse 1 says, God, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not be afraid. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. We will not be afraid. Do you see what the psalmist is describing here? This is the worst case scenario of all worst case scenarios. He's speaking in terms of metaphor here, but what what, what is a mountain a metaphor for? It's a metaphor for, for strength, for size, for permanence, for stability, for security. And the mountains then are being thrown into the sea, which metaphorically speaking, in in Hebrew culture especially, is a symbol for instability. In fact, a a menacing restlessness, something that is unpredictable and associated with evil. Genesis chapter 1 it can be sort of described as God taming the water. He says, let there be light to, to deal with the darkness and on day 1. And then on day 2, he, he separates the water from the water, creating the expanse. And then he creates dry land. Water is being put in its place. It's separated and then it's, it's, it, the gaps are filled in with land so that humans can live on land. Humans can't live In water, we don't have gills or fins. We were made to live on land. And then here is the most solid part of the land that God created, the mountains. And they are being thrown into the sea. It's almost like creation is being reversed here. This is the worst case of all worst case scenarios. But he says, even in the worst case scenario, whatever the psalmist was facing, whatever we are facing right now is not as bad as what he is describing here metaphorically, the complete undoing of the creation order. The psalmist says, even if we're to get that bad, we will not be afraid because the presence of God is with us. And then he says, Selah. Selah is a musical or technical term um, it, the, the closest Hebrew word is, is the word for lift up. And some people believe it's, a, it's a, an instruction for the musicians. You know, lift your hands up from the, uh, from the instrument to, to have a, a pause in the, in the melody or in the rhythm. 
And so when we hear that Selah, it's an invitation for us to pause, to lift up, to lift up our eyes and remind ourselves that God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation. Going back to verse 2, he says, we will not fear. The most commonly repeated command in all of the Bible is to not fear. And these are times where, let's just be honest, some of us are afraid. Some of us are afraid of contracting this virus. Some of us are afraid that, that a, a loved one who is vulnerable right now, that they would contract uh, the virus. Some of us are afraid just because everyone else seems to be panicking so much and we're, just, we're concerned about what is happening on a, on a societal level. Some of us are afraid of the economic impact. What will this mean for our jobs? What, what will this mean for our investments? What will this mean for our education or for our future? It's natural for us to have fears in these moments, but when we understand the reality of the presence of God and what that means, that gives us strength and security no matter what is up ahead. And the New Testament tells us that, that there is no fear in love, and love is the greatest command. And then we're also told that, to, that we are to, that we are to um, love one another and that, and that perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4 18. And so we need to replace our fear with a love, a love for God, a love for our neighbor. And we will not be afraid because God is with us. The second emphatic statement that this psalm makes is that we will not be moved. In verse 4 it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Now notice the contrast in verse 2. It says the mountains are being moved. Do you see that? Though the mountains be moved. Verse 5 says God is in the midst of her. She shall not be. So even if the mountains are moving, the psalmist says we're not moving. And the reason why we're not moving is because God is with us. And so although there is reason to be cautious in these days, although there is a reason to... Um, uh, to take steps in, in mitigating the risk of contracting this virus, we need to make sure that we will not be moved, that our confidence remains in the Lord. The psalmist mentions this river that goes through the city of Jerusalem. I've never vid visited a Jerusalem, but I've been told that people have been there, that there is no river. Um, the closest thing to a river in Jerusalem is a, a, a tunnel that a king named Hezekiah uh, built. There's the Gihon Spring up in the north, and then that flowed the Pool of Siloam, where one of the miracles uh, occurred in the Gospels. And tourists can actually, like, crawl through this. I don't know why you would want to do this. Like, we don't invite people to Mississauga and say, hey, hey, come walk through our sewers. But anyway, uh, people uh, do this. They, uh, that's the closest thing to the river. There is no river in the city of God. In the city of Jerusalem, you see, either this psalmist is geographically challenged or he's talking about something that flows deeper than, than water. He's talking about, really, the presence of God. Let me show you what I mean. I mean, going back to the, the book of Genesis and Genesis 2 in Eden, Genesis 2.10, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. In Ezekiel 47, the prophet Ezekiel is given this tour, this tour of the new Jerusalem and the new temple. And it says that there is a river that flows from the throne of God. Ezekiel 47. 
And that it, it, the river gives life to everyone. And then in the book of, of, the book of Revelation, it, again, there is a river flowing from the throne of God, from the presence of God in the middle of the street of the city. You see, the, the river here is a metaphor for the presence of God. The reason why we can emphatically say we will not be moved is because of the presence of God. Verse 5 God is in the midst of her. The river is showing that God is with his people. And what is true of the Old Testament saints who lived in the city of Jerusalem, loved ones, is true of those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who are uh, streaming this, this service this morning. In John 7, verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That glorious, mysterious stream in Psalm 46, the stream from the Garden of Eden, the stream that we're going to see in the book of Revelation, that stream is inside each and every one of us. The, the, the presence of God is what enables us to live a life where we do not shrink back, where we, not, where we are not overcome with fear. We will not be moved. And let's be honest, we're going to face some challenges in the next couple of Weeks trying to work from home while your kids are also from home. That's not going to be easy for the kids or the parents. Some of us have already tried grocery shopping in the last a day or so. These things are not, these are not, these are not major trials, but these are opportunities for us to trust that the Spirit is inside of us, that the river of the presence of God is in our lives and that we won't be shaken by these, uh, by these things, but that we will continue to trust him and continue to act and serve in love. Notice the contrast of the imagery. Again, you've got water is completely out of control in, in verse 3. It's, it's roaring and it's foaming. And then in, by the time you get to verse 4, it's gently flowing through uh, the city of God. Even though the mountains are moved, the people of God will not be moved. And I love at the end of verse 5, it says, God will not help when morning dawns. Unless you're streaming this morning from, you know, the Arctic Circle or something like that. You can, no matter what time of night you are at, you're always, you know, 8 to 14 hours away from daylight. No matter how hard it is, night only lasts for a certain period of time. Dawn always comes. And so we have this, this reminder, as the New Testament calls our afflictions, momentary in light of the coming dawn of Christ's return. That whatever we may be facing, that morning will come. God will help her. He will help the people of God when morning dawns. In verse 6 it says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Uh, everyone's trying to do their own thing and, and, and posture and, and express their power and take control. But then it says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The very voice of God. And then the chorus of the song in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 1 said, he's very present. Verse 5 said, he's in the midst of her. The chorus in verse 7 says, he is with us. And because he's with us, we will not be afraid. We will not be moved. And then lastly, we will be still. We will be still. After a Selah in verse 8, 
It says, come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God is being described here as a triumphant warrior, as a conqueror, a conqueror who ultimately will come to bring a peace. It says that he will make wars cease to the end of the earth. Verse 9, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He will do it by conquering. And in light of our understanding of the great power of God and that the power of God is present with us, we are then told in verse 10 to be still and to know that God is God, to be still. And this is, a, this is a challenge, this is a comfort for uh, the people of God, but it's also a challenge for the whole world. The challenge for the whole world to cease striving, to stop trusting in things like bows and spears and chariots and aircraft carriers and, and master's degrees and bank accounts. Because God is sovereign over all of those things. But to be still and to know that he is God. You see, loved ones, we must at this time take time to be still. And we need to be careful here. I've said this before in our church. This, this verse, verse 10, is kind of tricky because it's what I call a coffee mug verse. You know, probably... Two out of ten people here in this room would probably have a coffee mug in your cupboard right now that says, Psalm 4610, be still. Know that I am God. But we need to understand, loved ones, that the, the point of the Christian life is not for us to get some peace and quiet. And our aim right now as Christians cannot be merely to simply retreat and protect ourselves from suffering or from inconvenience in light of all that's happening in our world. You see, be still, and I, be still and know that I am God is only part of the verse. The verse goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's heart is for the nations. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12 when God told Abraham that out of your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then Jesus in Matthew 28, who is the offspring of Abraham, says, go into all nations and, and make disciples. Then you get to Revelation 7, where you have people from every tribe and tongue and nation. God's heart is for the nations. His aim, his purpose, his mission, and our mission is that everyone would know that he is God. That everyone would be still and know that he is God. So, loved ones, how we're doing church this week and in the weeks to come may look very different. How we do church will look different, but what we do as a church will never change. Our aim and our goal continually is to make disciples of all nations. And, and we may feel restricted in how and how that is happening, but with every restriction also comes an opportunity because our world is listening really like never before. The things that people have trusted and they can no longer trust in. So we must be still. We must know that God is God. We must know that his aim is to be exalted in the nations. That is our aim. And then the final chorus before the Selah in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
And loved ones, the greatest expression of God being with us is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one who promised the Spirit, who's the river of living water that lives inside of us. But in Matthew chapter 1, when they're talking about Jesus coming, the angel said that, that he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Matthew 28, when he sent us to, to go and make disciples of the nations, he said, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He is the one who is with us. He is the reason why we can be still. And one night, Jesus was out on a boat with his disciples, and the disciples had sort of a, a Psalm 46 moment. They weren't on a mountain that was being thrown into the sea, but they were on a boat that was being tossed by the waves. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. They wake him up, and they they say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And then in this Psalm 46 type storm, Jesus speaks a Psalm 46 word. Like Psalm 46.10, Jesus tells the wind and the waves, he says, be still. Be still. You see, Jesus was with them in the boat. Jesus is with us right now. Wherever we are watching this or streaming this service, right, Jesus is with us. We may not be able to gather with one another, but God is with us wherever we are. He is sovereign over waves, over wind. He is sovereign over every roll of toilet paper. He is, solid. He is sovereign over every molecule, every microbe, every respiratory droplet on planet earth and so we can have peace and we can be still and know that he's with us in the boat that he has promised his presence we will not be afraid we will not be moved we will be still because we know that he's God let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for the gift of your presence we thank you, Lord, that you have promised that one day the dwelling place of God will be among men. Lord, in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem with that, with that glorious river flowing through that city, thank you that we look forward to that hope. But thank you that there is also a present reality right here, right now, that by your spirit, the living water, the river of life is actually flowing through us. And so, God, I, I pray that you would fill your people with courage, Lord. I pray that you would fill your people with love. I pray that we would not fear. I pray that we would not be moved, but that we would be still in the, in the days to come as we trust in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Please be present with us as we continue to worship from home to home to place to place, Lord. As your people are gathered in this unique way, I pray that there would be a sense of your presence, Lord, wherever people may be worshiping you this morning. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.